You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Let's press on. Our next reader is a writer who's published, I think, a book of short stories, a memoir that's a novel. The other way around. A novel <laughs> that's a memoir. Yeah. <laughs> and his um, new book was uh, recently described by the New York Times as bracingly weird. Um, <laughs> now, this, uh, this is uh, an author who's visiting, who's coming to us from Seattle where he, uh, he teaches in an MFA program there. And um, what else can I say about this guy? He's, um, let me see what else I got here. He's been published, uh, his, I believe his book of short stories it was a, uh, a um, Penn USA literary finalist. He's been published in obscure little journals like um, McSweeney's and stuff like that. His, um, his new novel is, um, well, what can I say? I'm going to let him describe what it's about. Uh, the New York Times said it's just another one of those sentient glacier novels. Um, <laughs> um, we'll talk more about it after, after we um, have our break. But allow me to introduce and welcome to the Bay, Bay Area, Ryan Boudinot. 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 Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Um, so how's the volume? Is that good? So I'm going to read a uh, part about a guy named Skinner. And uh, uh, many of the characters in this novel uh, live in an era uh, that happens after an apocalyptic era known as the FUS, the F-U-S, which stands for the age of fucked up shit. Right? So... <laughs> The age of fucked up shit came and went, and uh, various people are come up with sort of hackneyed theories about what exactly happened. Um, and this guy, uh, Skinner, is using a technology that allows you to offload your memories. He lived through some of the most horrific, uh, you know, experiences that one could live through during this period. And so he's sort of uploaded various memories on these little memory cards. And, uh, but he's obsessed with sort of retracing the past. And so he enlists a friend of his uh, to revisit a memory from this horrific war that occurred on Manhattan. And uh, so this is the, the description of what happens when they, when they revisit this memory. Plug us in, Skinner said, closing his eyes. Carl pushed the, the card into the slot. A little pinwheel icon on the display indicated that the console was recognizing and syncing with the what's-its embedded in their skulls. This reality hung on for a while, the books on the shelves, the red rug. The scene trembled a bit at the edges as the stored memory worked to displace their surroundings. At this in-between stage, inanimate objects asserted more emphatically what they truly were. The water in the bottles wanted desperately to escape the plastic, yearning to become lost again in oceans and clouds. 
Skinner drew a Pendleton blanket around his shoulders, listening to individual wool fibers creak, snap, and whisper memories of ewes grazing in valleys. Carl reached out and took Skinner's hand, squeezed it to remind him he was there. A few minutes in, the living room went into rapid retreat. The effect was like looking at a department store window and not knowing what to focus on, the objects on display or the reflection of the street. Slowly, their senses adjusted to perceive more acutely what lay beyond the pain. They were crossing the Brooklyn Bridge into Manhattan. A percussive frozen rain raked at them as clouds merged with plumes of smoke rising from all over the island. Carl, Skinner said. He was trying to pivot his head, but it was as if his neck was in a brace. I got you, Carl said behind him, or beside him, or both. A representation of Carl sidled up, his old man face superimposed on his younger man's body, a weird bug in the software. We're in, man. Jesus, the smell. It's always the smell that's the worst. I can smell the bodies. Younger Carl spoke, his voice fuzzy. At least the smell of bodies don't make you cough up your damn lungs. It's those other smells we got to be afraid of. Up ahead in a pile of rags, a baby cried beside its mother's detached bodily components. As Skinner veered toward the baby, a greasy hand dug into his bicep and yanked him around. Malmides, his direct supervisor, barked into his face. Keep moving, shitstain. Skinner saw that he was in a vast video game of men that stretched back through Brooklyn, bristling with weaponry and trudging into death. He didn't march so much as let himself get carried along. He looked down and watched his legs flop retardedly forward, unable to stop. Piles of refuse burned in the East River, decapitated bodies swung from the bridge supports like demented mobiles. He strained to, make, to, he strained to take in the magnificent destruction ahead. Here, on the bridge, all was panorama, but soon those buildings would entangle him, a grid turning into an unforgiving labyrinth. Inexplicably, a herd of goats ran bleeding past them, their hides scorched and speckled with boils. One of them sported an eyeball dangling from its socket. At the little park on the other side of the bridge, he found himself in a congregation listening to the director of operations, a bull of a man with prosthetic eyes and a voice raspy from inhaling the particulate of decimated signature architecture. Castiliano was that bastard's name, and this was his rallying moment, a little rhetorical propane to get the soldiers hard. We bring death today to those who claim to become God. We slaughter under the banner of Christ. We butcher the hordes who've come to rape our children. Root them out, grab a limb, rip it off. Coat your faces in their gore. Stomp harder on the rising lids of their rancid coffins, Boeing Army fighters. A great cry went up and Skinner, queasy, broke off into a unit with Carl and five other sick motherfucks, as it were. Guys with faces and names and homes that had been erased from planet Earth. Supposedly, they were to head west and root out a couple remaining pockets of Newman resistance. I don't think you, I can do this, Skinner said in his memory. Fuck you, Skinner. You were born to do this, Carl said. One of the guys in the unit looked exactly like the pre-fussed comedic actor Will Ferrell. Another bug in the program. Apparently, if you remembered a person as looking sort of like someone famous, the famous person tended to show up in your memory instead. <laughs> Guys, Will Ferrell said, his voice cracking, maybe we should just find a Starbucks and get lattes? My treat? What do you say? Carl whispered in Skinner's ear, come on, dude, you're in command. 
Listen, you sick homo sapiens, Skinner said. The heavy lifting's been done. We're basically the janitors scrubbing the Newman shit from this godforsaken island. Let's quit fucking around and move. They passed through acrid manhole steam and subway entrances piled with rotting body parts swarmed by mutated screeching larvae. Skinner glanced down to see a woman's shoe with a foot still in it. Toenails painted lavender, sliced off at the ankle so cleanly it could have been done by a surgeon. It wasn't the enormity of it all that fucked you. It was little shit like this. A headless body slumped in a doorway beneath an advertisement for Guns N' Roses' Chinese Democracy too. An arm protruded from beneath a flaming and overturned taxi. Everywhere burned the obscene carbon stench of manufactured goods and organic forms returning to the elements. Will Farrell had begun to whimper comically, eyes darting left and right. Carl slapped him on the back of the head. In the East Village, they came to a cafe, still operational amid the rubble. Everything above the second floor of the building looked to have been vaporized. Within the ground-level walls, baristas steamed milk, and a sound system blasted fusion-era miles. In a corner, under a painting of flames, the scarred rem remnants of a company of mercenaries sat drinking. Seven guys speckled in concrete dust and dried blood, knocking back coffee spiked with scavenged liquors. Their eyes barely moved when Skinner and his crew arrived, stepping over dead laptops and brick chunks. We're the Boeing 83rd, Skinner said. What company are you all with? Who wants to know, said a man in the rear, jet black hair, glasses, untangling a Rubik's Cube. I'm Lieutenant Al Skinner. Carl said, they're the Pfizer 190th, the insignia on their gear. I thought Pfizer ran screaming from this shit, Skinner said. We are the shit, Rubik's Cube said. Will Farrell ordered a grande non-fat decaf mocha. <laughs> this all that's left of your company, Skinner asked. Cube said, you want to know the difference between a war and a war game? A game comes with a reset button, but the only way to access that button is to die. Want to test this theory? Skinner said nothing. Cube shrugged, asked his command, who would be willing to blow his fucking brains out to see if there's a reset button? A young, stone-faced soldier drinking a cappuccino unholstered his sidearm and pressed the barrel under his chin. You don't have to prove anything to me, Skinner said. This is the fucking death party, Cube said. You don't want to see the death? How about some of the fuck? We've got a surprise downstairs. You fellows can help yourself to the leftovers. We've had our fill. Go ahead, indulge. You don't have girls, do you? Carl said, his face falling. No, man, we're following the code. We got droid pussy. Tell that idiot to holster his weapon, Skinner said. Cube nodded. Goldberg, we don't need you to hit the reset button just yet. He turned back to Skinner. You look like you've been at this for a while, soldier. Tell me, do the Newmans make any sense to you? Has, has killing them made it any easier to determine whether they're the human beings or if we're the ones who've come out of factories? I kill what I'm told to kill, Skinner said. I don't give a fuck if it's got guts or chips. Good for you, Cube smiled and tossed his toy to Skinner. Now mess this puzzle up and solve your way out of it. An iron stairwell led to a basement. The stairs opened onto a dim, low-ceilinged space that smelled of opium smoke and industrial-grade lubricants. A soldier elbowed past them on his way out, zipping his fly. The 83rd turned on their beams and swept the floor with light. The room appeared littered with dissected mannequins. An arm crawled out of their way and hid under a sofa as they advanced. They followed the sound of sex groans to a curtained alcove. When Skinner swept aside the curtain, they found a fat, naked man on his back on a couch. 
Skinner blinked, trying to figure out exactly what he was looking at. As best he could tell, it was the lower half of a male Newman, the legs wearing fishnet stockings, mounted on the fat man, rocking back and forth while the man stroked the thing's artificial cock. Where the torso should have been was a mess of organic Newman technology, cords and sacks, severed tubes spurting clear fluid. While this half of a Newman got fucked, a, severe, a severed Newman head of indeterminate gender licked the fat man's balls. Hey, can't a dude screw in peace around here? The fat man complained. My God, Skinner said. Decades later in Carl's living room, Carl said, Yeah, that shit was sick, and you don't even remember it as gross as I remember it. Identify yourself, Skinner said. And you are? My name is I've Got a Loaded Cherry Coca-Cola and Your Dick's Up a Robot's Ass. Oh, yeah, another thing guns are named after soft drinks. <laughs> Name's Capa Negra, C- Senior Regional Manager of the Pfizer 183rd. Will Farrell spoke up. Guys, is it considered a three-way if two of the participants used to be one person? Just wondering. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, Farrell, Carl said. We're sweeping the hood for insurgents, Skinner said, yanking the Newman body half off Capernegra's lap. And you're, and you're going to data dump all your intelligence on us. <clears throat> Damn it, fine. Let me rub one out and I'll brief you upstairs. Upstairs over coffee at a table freckled with cigarette butts, Caponegra, now mostly clothed, told stories of raids, ambushes, casualties received and delivered. Skinner divvied the info into little piles, separating a soldier's braggadocio from strategically relevant data. Caponegra's blustery yarns did support the case that the Newmans were in full retreat, escaping into the forests upstate where they were burying themselves under trees to hibernate. They're like bears, Capernegra said. I got a report from a scout in the Glaxo Welcome 3rd Infantry that they cornered four of them up near Saratoga Springs, all huddled in a hole in the ground, skin going pasty from lack of sun, eyes glowing red as they went into sleep mode. Interrogation revealed they had no power update, meaning someone would have to come along, find them, and manually turn them back on. We're sweeping west through Soho, Skinner said. What can you tell us? Capernegra rolled his eyes. You guys got the easiest job in the world. There's no one left out there. We practically bleached the place. So what are you doing hanging around here? Capernegra gave him a look. There's somewhere else? They came to a building halved vertically by an explosion. Looked like an NYU dorm, a cross-section of what appeared to be more or less normal collegiate life. A couple dozen hive-like stories of beds, computers, desks, a Jules and Jim poster, microbiology and civics textbooks with passages highlighted in pink and yellow, the pillowy forms of bags of popped but uneaten microwave popcorn. Paper drifted in the smoke, here and there a fire. In one of the exposed dorm rooms on the second floor, a girl sat hunched over her desk, head in hand, reviewing self-made flashcards. Carl consulted his handheld. She's human. Hey you, student, Skinner shouted. What are you still doing up there? Visibly annoyed, the girl called down. Leave me alone, I'm studying midterms next week. You need to evacuate ASAP, Carl replied. This ain't the time to study. Come on, we'll set you up in a library where you can study all you want. Somewhere on the island, another building fell, rattling the earth beneath their feet and the teeth in their jaws. Helicopters in formation sliced across a sky, too grimy and chemical burned to be of any use to anybody. Carl said to Skinner, we got to get her out of here. She's in shock, obviously. Stupid bitch, Skinner said. Let's save her ass. 
Skinner put Will Farrell in charge of the unit while he and Carl climbed over the rubble looking for an entrance. The comic actor called after them, Guys, this is against protocol, you know? Shouldn't we all stick together? Go fuck yourself, Farrell, Skinner said. We're getting this chick out of here. Years in the future, in the living room, Carl said, Not exactly how we remember it. Yeah, but here it comes, Skinner said. Carl pushed aside a foosball table, found the stairwell, walls covered in anti-Newman graffiti. Skinner doubted many of the students who'd screwed or, and crammed and gotten ripped in these dorms had made it off Manhattan alive. Rifle drawn, he kicked open the door on the, to the second floor, exiting into a dark hallway where post-psychotherapy Metallica played faintly from ceiling-mounted speakers. In a corner beneath a fire extinguisher lay a Christian-American soldier, looked like a contractor from Toys R Us. Hard to tell exactly where he'd been hit. His whole torso was caramelized in bloody goo. Carl bent over him with a hand, handheld and got his vi vitals. Soldier, where are you from? Carl said. Huh? The fallen man said. Who the fuck are you? We're the Boeing 83rd. We're going to fly you out of this joint. The college chick, the soldier said. They're using her as bait. We got nooms up in this shit, Carl said as a round pinged the fire extinguisher over his head, unleashing a cloud of white vapor. Down the hall, dorm rooms cracked open and out stumbled half-obliterated Newmans wearing the collegiate t-shirts and hoodies of their victims. Carl's face assumed the intensity of a man assembling a particularly tricky piece of furniture as he raked the hall with ordnance. Skinner's head rolled to one side, and he caught sight of a mohawked, child-sized Newman wearing a Led Zeppelin swang song t-shirt and nothing else, its crotch smooth and plastic with the absence of genitals, round after round perforating its jerking, humanoid form, an arm shot off in gouts of purplish lubricant, its cat-like eyes glowing yellow in the fire-retardant haze. Here it comes, Skinner said in the living room. There it came, a round ripping through his chest plate, which put the kibosh on the velocity enough so that it lodged in his trunk without splattering out his back. Then another one to the leg, a kind of afterthought. He plunged into a pool of blood where all sound disappeared. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.